This is Philly Wrestling. Welcome to the podcast. I'm Kevin McGuigan, and I'll be your host. We are on episode two of season two. In this episode, I have the opportunity to speak with Coach Roger Reyna. In the midst of his season at the University of Pennsylvania, Coach took some time to discuss his experience with WrestleOffs. Creating a championship team is challenging. In wrestling, the starting spot is most often determined by a head-to-head competition. When you've coached both athletes in this situation, it can be difficult to endure. Coach Reyna shares his experience of having coached two athletes who competed against each other in the ultimate wrestle-off. Coach Reyna, uh, thank you very much for coming back on the show. Pleasure, Kevin. Appreciate you having me. Yeah, I know you're in the middle of the season right now and things are kind of hectic and you're getting ready to go into a, I guess the championship portion of the year. And, uh, you know, how are you feeling at this point in the season at the university? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a, it's an exciting time of the year. You know, we come out of the the Midlands this year, Matt, man, and, um, you know, shift from tournament competition into dual meet competition. Um, so, you know, that, that has its, its own flavor um, in our sport. And then particularly when we get into the Ivy league and the EIWA um, matches, um, you know, it has that extra element of competition and, and rivalry. And, um, and then also, you know, really important in terms of, um, you know, seating and placement in the conference tournament, the NCAA tournament. So it has that element coming as well, but um, the team's been coming together really well. You know, right now we've got, you know, all 10 of our weights, all 10 of our guys are, are ranked in one national poll or another. You know, the team is cracked into the top 25 rankings in several polls. So I think everybody's feeling our progress. You know, it's an exciting time. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. The, the Philly wrestling community is, is uh, excited to see what's happening, you know, in the palestra, see, see what you guys are putting together and, and uh, definitely exciting time of the year. So as you, as you get ready for Ivy League competition and, and, and championship season, um, one of the things that I think is on a lot of people's minds is how do you put together that championship lineup as, as you get closer to the end of the season? And, and in terms of, you know, who's going to, you know, obviously the guys are wrestling at the weights throughout the season, but if you have you know, competitors, you know, high level competitors that are at the same weight, how do you determine who's going to get that position? Is it, yeah. do you choose it or how's it work? Yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. It's uh, you know, we have a number of different factors um, that come into play. Uh, and for us, you know, the tournaments that we go to in the first half of the season, you know, typically we're taking, you know, at least two guys per weight class. Um, the Keystone classic, which we host every uh, every year in the, the weekend before Thanksgiving, we enter every one of our every one of our guys competes in that. Um, so, you know, we've got guys out there competing and, and often in the same weight class and we can evaluate. Um, obviously, if they meet head to head in these tournaments, um, you know, we look at that. We count that as a wrestle off. Um, but we have a lot of common opponents, you know, that we can you know, we can measure against as well. Um, and then we do a couple rounds of wrestle offs. The, the first are in early November. Um, and we'll bring in an official in, set the mat up in the palestra and, and make it as real a, uh, an arena feel as we can. We open it up to the public and then we have a second round of wrestle-offs, um, you know, just around this time, you know, last week, the week before, um, if we had any final questions or if someone had been out injured early in the year and didn't get the chance to wrestle off, we'll give them that opportunity. Um, but by this time of the year, we really look to lock into, you know, our starting lineup um, and that way we you know, we can focus the attention on, you know, the guys that are starting in terms of, you know, getting them prepared for their outside competition. Um, so it's one of the, I guess, blessings of our sport, you know, Kevin, is that the guys have, you know, the opportunity to challenge for the spot. It's in their own hands. Uh, unlike, you know, a lot of sports, um, you know, where the coach is selecting, you know, how much playing time someone gets or what position they're going to be in or, or whatnot. So, um, it's one of the blessings, I guess, and one of the challenges that we have to face each other in wrestle-offs. Absolutely. And you, you've been coaching for a long time, right? A couple decades now? Yeah, I, I was the head coach for Penn for 19 years in my first stint, and this is my fifth year in my second stint. Okay. So you've been around the sport a long time, and 
in that time, um, in selecting these championship teams or, you know, deciding who's going to go to that championship, uh, how often have you had to make that decision personally, or has it always been left up to that wrestle off? Yeah. Yeah. I really only overturned a wrestle off one time in my career. And, um, and it was not an easy thing to do. Um, you know, we had a young guy transfer from Penn state, you know, with, with good credentials and we had a really good, um, you know, incoming freshmen and, you know, they battled back and forth and, um, you know, it was clear to us that, um, you know, that the incoming freshmen, you know, had higher potential against outside competition, but, you know, the, you know, the guy that had transferred in had, you know, was clever and he found ways to, you know, to win, you know, certain matches, um, including those wrestle offs. And, and so we evaluated in a number of different ways and, and ultimately overturned um, the wrestle off. And, um, and it was a really difficult thing to do just because it's not the nature of our sport. Right. Right. Um, right. The, the story, it, it ended very well. Um, you know, that year was, was difficult, but um, both ended up in the starting lineup the following year, both won the EIWA conference championships at different weights and, you know, became friends and went on and, and uh, continued to start the following year after that. So, um, you know, multiple trips to the NCAAs for both of them. But that one year um, we did a, a step in and overturn a wrestle off. And um, I hope never to have to do that again. Right. Oh, yeah. I couldn't imagine making that decision. And that's that is the, um, you know, one of the I mean, there's a lot of positives in our sport, but that, you know, from a coaching perspective, allowing the competitors to make that decision. And and when I say make that decision, they compete. You win, you're in. Yep. Right. So in addition to your, you know, collegiate coaching career, you have, uh, you know, extensive experience coaching at the, uh, in, in freestyle and Olympic level. And, you know, kind of the reason for this conversation we're having this morning, once again, thank you for taking the time to come on because I know you're busy. I'd like to revisit the year 2000. And this kind of relates to what we just discussed as far as wrestle-offs. You were in a, in, a, in a situation, unlike any other coach probably has ever been in, where you had two guys wrestling off for a spot. And that spot happened to be on the Olympic team. You had your assistant coach, Brian Dolph, and your, one of your prized recruits, Brandon Sly, who happens to be the executive director of the PRTC now. Can you take us back to that time and what was going through your mind as these two high-level competitors were preparing for the, that final event at the Olympic trials? You had the relationship with Coach Dolph as your as your assistant coach, and you had the relationship with Coach Slay as prized recruit, athlete, two-time uh, national finalist. What's going through your mind back in the early part of two thousand? Yeah, it um, is a, a fascinating time. Um, you know, one that, you know, we had been working towards for quite a number of years. Um, we had held the, the world team trials and the Olympic trials at the Palestra. And this was, you know, um, you know eight, nine years before Brian and, and Brandon met in the finals, of the Olympic trials to go to Sydney. And we had started it, you know, very much like the PRTC today. We had Olympic level athletes, you know, either on staff at Penn or, or training with our guys. Um, and this kind of came out of the Foxcatcher days and into the Dave Schultz wrestling club days. And, um, um, so in, in many ways, a precursor of the RTCs that are, that are so prolific today. Um, and we started to have more and more guys, you know, like, you know, placing in the Olympic trials, Danny shade was an assistant coach for me and, and he was to the finals of the Olympic trials multiple times. Um, you know, we had hosted one of those years when Dan was in the finals and, so our, our community, our culture was, was starting to get more familiar with, you know, not only, you know, climbing the NCAA ladder collegiately, but also, you know, having this eye on, you know, getting guys on world teams and Olympic teams. And <clears throat> Brandon came in as a recruit, um, you know, with that culture pretty well established. And, and really part of the reason that he came to Penn was to be able to train with Dave Schultz and Brian Dolph. And Trevor Lewis was an assistant coach. Trevor was 11 times. Um, 
U.S. Open All-American in freestyle, 11 years in a row. All these guys were kind of bundled in the same weight. Um, and then we recruited uh, Glenn Pritzloff, who had won an NCAA championship at Penn State. Um, and Glenn, Glenn came in as a, a competitor, a training partner, and an assistant coach, um, also around the same weight. Um, and to add on to that, Rick Springman, you know, was a high-level NCAA competitor, but you know, one of our guys who placed at the U.S. Open as an undergrad and placed at the U.S. senior-level world team trials as an undergrad. And all these guys were around the same weight. So the, the, the training room, was, you know, the room was tough. Um, and these guys battled each other all the time. And um, we all knew that they had potential, you know, to go deep into the Olympic trials, you know, in the Sydney games. And, um, and we planned for it, you know, and we worked for it. Um, we had common opponents to prepare for, you know, the, the prime one was Joe Williams. Um, Joe had been a three-time NCAA champion at Iowa and, and one of the most dominant, you know, wrestlers of his era. Um, in collegiate style and, and freestyle. Um, and clearly the incumbent coming into the trials um, for the Sydney games, um, Joe had been the world team member and um, had placed fourth in the world championships the year before. Um, and clearly the, you know, the, the guy that most of the coaches and most fans, I would say in the sport expected to win that spot. So both Brian and Brandon, um, Trevor, um, you know, all these guys were preparing, you know, to, to meet the field, Sean Bormet was in that field, current head coach of, of uh, Michigan as well. So, <clears throat> as so we you had, the, so you had uh, in that in that room, you had you know several uh, competitors at that weight class that were all training together. At that time, did you in in your mind behind the scenes, did you have an idea of who might be, you know, competing against Joe Williams for that spot? You know, clearly Joe Williams was was uh, you know, the top competitor at their time at that weight class. In your group, did you have any idea of who you thought might win that spot to go against Joe for the Olympic? Yeah, good good question, Kevin. You know, we were uh, and I think we still are very optimistic. You know, we were we were hoping you know and planning for all of them. You know, Rick Springman um, he had met Joe Williams in the finals of the Midlands when Rick was an undergrad and, and Joe was a, a senior level competitor and, and it was a competitive match. Um, and Brandon Slay will tell you, Rick was one of the toughest guys he's ever wrestled. Um, Brian Dolph and Brandon had both met Joe, you know, many times in their career had both shown moments in their matches against Joe, you know, that they could, they could win. Um, but n- neither of them had beaten him yet. So, so I think we were planning for all of the above. You know, very optimistically um, and, and with some, you know, good reason behind it, too. You know, they were both, especially Brandon and, and Brian, were both closing the gap against Joe. You know, match after match, you're figuring a little more things out, you know, getting closer each time out. Um, Brandon had wrestled Joe in the finals of the NCAA championships in their, their both their senior years um, and had gotten away from the game plan. He'll tell you himself. Um, and, you know, he got himself in a hole early in that match. Um, and that was a lot of the final match of the, of their NCAA careers. Um, the next time Joe and Brandon met, it went to overtime at the U S open. So, you know, we're kind of closing the gap, closing the gap and Brian as well. Brian had leads on Joe at the U S open as well. Um, so, you know, uh, I guess, yeah, optimistically planning for all, um, you know, but but not sure. You know, ultimately how that would all play out. Okay, but in that room, iron sharpens iron. You you knew you were going to have a formidable opponent opponent for for Joe. You knew yep. you had a group of guys that were were going to make each other better, no matter yep. what. Yep, yeah. and all with the same mission, right? And you know, in the back of our minds, you know, always knowing that hey. You know, these guys, you know, could face each other. Our own guys could face each other. And that was, you know, part of the sport. And, and the higher you get at the, at the open level, it's, you know, it's more common that you face, you know, former training partners, current training partners. Um, so it's an inevitability that you have in the back of your mind. So it wasn't front and center, um, you know, that Brian and, and Brandon might face each other. But, you know, we knew it was possible. Right. So you, U.S. Open, Brandon ends up winning that tournament so he uh s- slots into the finals 
All right. Now going into the trials, you have the mini tournament, right? Who's going to go against Brandon? Right? Yeah. Can you walk us through that? So now Brandon's sitting in the finals and who do you have in the mini tournament? Yeah. So, you know, Brian Dolph was in the mini tournament um, back in the U S open that same year, Brian had a lead on Joe Williams and he, and he didn't maintain his lead. Um, so that had happened. Um, but coming through the mini tournament in that weight, you know, Steve Marinelli was in there. He had been a former world team member, you know, Sean Bormet. Um, I mean, there was just a bunch of guys. It was a really deep weight, um, as it has been for the United States for, you know, many, many years, you know, and continues to be, um, you know, from Dave Schultz to Kenny Monday, you know, to Brandon Slay to, you know, on and on that weight class has particularly been a, a really strong weight for our country. So, you know, Brian went through that, you know, that mini tournament, you know, meeting Joe in the finals and, you know, picking up some things on what to do, you know, on our feet against him because we had many guys preparing to wrestle him. Um, Brian really closed that gap and got on top of him and, and turned Williams twice, you know, in the finals of the, uh, um, of the mini tournament and, you know, ended up, you know, managing that lead. And, and so, you know, he went through a very rugged series of matches. Um, to get to the finals and a really tough match with Joe in the finals physically. Now, Brian at this age too, you know, he had been one of the front runners um, to make the, the Barcelona team um, two Olympiads before, and then he tore his ACL and he came back from a torn ACL and went into the, the Atlanta games um, trials as one of the favorites. He had actually beaten all of the other top competitors the year going into the Atlanta games. Um, that was the year that that Dave Schultz was killed. And, you know, Dave was killed January 26th, 1996. Um, and I think that, you know, everybody was obviously um, grief stricken. Uh, but Brian in particular, who had been extremely close with Dave, um, really, really, really struggled. Um, he continued to compete that year, um, but just wasn't the same. And and ended up, um, you know, not having a great, you know, Olympic trials tournament. So he retired after that, you know, for a couple of years um, and then came out of retirement. So he was in his thirties. And after he got through that mini tournament, I could just tell physically it had taken a toll on him as being a little bit older athlete. Um, and Brandon, as you mentioned, had been slotted into the finals because he had won the U S open. So physically, you know, Brandon was 24 years old, kind of, you know, at his prime, you know, Brian had retired, had come out of retirement, risen back to the top, you know, top of the game. And, um, and they were entering that final two out of three match, I think physically in much different positions. Absolutely. There's no doubt about that, you know, with the age difference and the, the roller coaster ride that, that Brian was on. Um, however, we, we, as we know, wrestling is a, is a mental game, you know, as, as much as it is a physical game. So you have Brian, a seasoned veteran. You know, he's been around coaching. Uh, he just got back into competition after a break, maybe a little fresh physically, but still older, right? How, how much of a, of a mental uh, game, you know, at that level is it? You know, uh, Brandon's new. Brandon's new. He's, he's, I mean, yes, he competed on the international stage as, as a junior and a cadet, but at this level, you know, can you talk about mindset a little bit there? Yeah, yeah, it's a, it, it's a fascinating um, moment in terms of mindset um, because not only, you know, did Brian have a lot more experience nationally and internationally, um, but he had trained Brandon up, you know, through college for, for years and years and years, you know, and it, it took a long while to, for, you know, for Brandon to get competitive in our room um, because it was such a tough room. Um, and so there was a little bit of that kind of big brother, you know, thing that, uh, that I think Brandon had to overcome. However, they had met twice in international competition after Brandon graduated. They had split matches. Um, they met in the finals of the Dave Schultz International Tournament. Um, Brandon won that. They had met in the world team trials the previous year, and Brian had won that. So they were one and one. They had split matches. Um, and then I think, you know, uh, Brandon's challenge was to kind of overcome that you know, big brother, for, you know, coach um, relationship and just, you know, wrestle the person in front of him. And, and I think, you know, from a mindset standpoint, you know, Brandon, 
um, was coming off of a really hot, um, well-wrestled U.S. Open. He was the outstanding wrestler in that tournament. Um, he had beaten Sean Bormet. He had beaten more, uh, Marinelli. He had beaten other world team members and um, was wrestling ex exceptionally well. Um, and it was in Dallas. So it was home, home you know, court Brandon, advantage. Brandon's home state yep. um, reunion arena. Um, kind of paint the stage here, Kevin. There was sold out, um, you know, sold out crowd, you know, largely, you know, Texas wrestling, you know, up and coming as a sport in Texas and a lot of excitement because Texas had never had an Olympic team member from their state before. So Brandon walked onto the mat, you know, kind of fresh physically. You know, having to overcome, I think that, you know, former coach, you know, kind of big brother and great friend um, between the great friendship between the two of them. Um, so that was his mental hurdle. Uh, I think Brian's hurdle was, you know, um, you know, I've retired, I've come back out, you know, I've made it to the finals here, you know, um, can I deliver? Can I physically deliver here? Um, and then, of course, you know, what adjustments each of them are going to make, you know, what are they going to do strategically? Um, you know, they trained, you know, thousands of times together before, right? Not hundreds. Right. You know? And so, you know, like, how are they going to adapt, you know, in that moment on the big stage with the Olympic birth? Right. Um, and that, that poses a, a good question. So you have Brandon who has been learning from Brian. And then you have Brian who's been teaching Brandon. Um, and obviously, or maybe not so obviously, Brian has given Brandon all of the tricks of the trade. He's shown him everything. Or has he? And that's the question, <laughs> right? As they, they go into this, this uh, final wrestle off. Yeah, that's a really good question. You know, I, I, I chuckle because uh, I think Schultz, when he would, would go out and do, do clinics and whatnot in, in public, he would show most of the technique, maybe 80, 90%, but he'd always have a little something in his back pocket, it seemed. And, um, but Brian wasn't like that. You know, Brian was an open book. Um, and he put his heart on his sleeve. He'd, he'd do everything to support, you know, the guys that he was coaching. He's a, a selfless, you know, servant leader. And, um, I don't, I don't think Brian ever held back on anything. Um, and I think, you know, they both had, you know, skills in a lot of different positions, you know, and ultimately in a, you know, in a wrestling match, it's boiled down to moments, you know, a few moments. Um, and, you know, they had a broad enough skill set, each of them, you know, that they, the real question was like, you know, which tactics, which strategies, which techniques would they choose to, to employ? Right. Um, you know, and, and that was the question. I think they, they were all familiar enough. Each of them were familiar enough with the other's style that there probably weren't going to be any, any surprises except you know, what, what choice tactically did each of them make? Right? right. Speaking of style, do you think that the amount of times that they've trained together, thousands of you know, hours of training, do, do you think they event, you know, were getting closer to almost mimicking each other's style, having a very similar style? <laughs> yeah, I, I think, yes. Um, you know, I think Brandon at that time would say, you know, my style is Brian Dolph's style. Um, and, and I think, you know, honestly, you know, that's a, a statement of, um, appreciation and credit, you know, for Brian, but I think Brandon, you know, he had, he had some of his own stuff, particularly on the Matt Parterre. Um, and Brian was, it was very creative in a lot of different positions. He had a great inside trip. He had a great underhook series. He had a front headlock. No one in the world wanted to be in against him. Um, you know, it, it, but, you know, from the outside, I think, you know, at, in his thirties, you know, Brian had lost some of that, you know, pop to penetrate, you know, on leg attacks from the outside, but very dangerous from a lot of different positions, you know, very creative. Um, and on top, very creative, um, you know, Brandon, much more powerful, much more explosive from the outside. Um, great gut wrench on top. Everybody knew he had a gut wrench, you know, um, most people knew it and couldn't stop it. Right. And so, um, so that was kind of, I guess the, the strategy or, or set of tactics that they could all draw on that each of them could draw on. It's interesting that you discuss, you know, Brian's, you know, um, getting creative or uh, coming up with different tactics as he got older, you know, maybe his body's breaking down a little bit. So he's got to get a little bit more crafty. 
um, flash forward to now, this time where Jordan Burroughs, you know, our uh, representative at 79 kilos this year, world champion for the PRTC, he's a little older, right? Seems like his style is the same, but getting a little bit more creative. Um, do you think that happens, you know, or has to happen as athletes age? Well, I, I think there's wisdom in, in continually growing your skill set, um, but at the same time, never losing your core, um, your core attacks or your core offense, right? It's kind of um, how do we how do you do both of those at the same time, expand your skill set, but you know, keep your eye on the ball with your core tactics. I think Jordan's doing a, a fabulous job of that. Um, I think, you know, unlike Brian Dolph in a comparison, you know, Jordan's been, you know, much healthier through his career. Um, he's, uh, he's been blessed. He's taken care of his body extremely well. He, you know, Brian Dolph, I mentioned had the, the torn ACL, you know, coming out of the, the Barcelona games trials and, um, and other injuries that he was dealing with. And, um, but I just think, yeah, it's like all of us want to continue to, you know, to grow and expand and have a hunger to, you know, to continue to get better and, and layer on new, you know, new tactics, new strategies, new skills. Um, but yeah, I think that, um, you know, as our bodies do change, you know, getting older, you know, adapting, you know, what works best is, is part of the game plan. Right. Um, but Brian also just had a, he, he had a real propensity to, to explore new technique. He competed overseas, you know, quite a bit, a lot of trips, so, you know, over to Russia and, and I think came back with a lot of tactics and, and techniques um, just because he was curious and he was picking them up along the way. Right. right. So the mini tournament starts and you're, you're in Brian's corner, right? Yeah. So uh, walk us through that. And as we get closer to the finals, you know, what's going through your mind? Yep. So, yeah, I had, you know, I had cornered, you know, Brandon and his competitions out at the U S open um, and Brian out there as well at the U S open. And then when it went to the mini tournament, obviously, you know, my focus was, you know, was on Brian at that time. And, um, he wrestled tremendously well, um, including that finals, uh, mini tournament finals match against Joe Williams. I mean, the, the, the crowd, when he went out and took him down, um, with really interesting tactics, <laughs> you know, Brian, uh, at that time knew if he could get on top of Joe Williams, you know, he had a really good chance to turn him, you know, Brian was outstanding in parterre, um, you know, Joe outstanding on his feet, but a little more questionable in his parterre defense. So the question was, how do we get on top of him? Right. And, and Joe being so fast and just dart like ankle picks and attacks from the outside. So Brian, you know, he said, I was like, how are you going to get on top of this guy? And he's like, I'm, I'm going to take him up for body. I'm going to bear hug him. I'm going to change the game completely <laughs> come out of nowhere and he did and brian went out and dug double underhooks um you know got on top of, of joe turned him once and the crowd just erupted here's the upset in the making right because again even though brandon had beaten joe williams in in the finals of the u.s open that year everyone still expected joe to win he had been that dominant in college and high school they expected I, a rematch I, I Sorry, go ahead. They were, they were, they were expecting a rematch. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but Brian had a lot different idea and um, he got on top of him, not only turned him, turned him once, but then he turned him a second time and um, really took a dominant lead. And, and um, Brian's just an exceptional hand fighter, great at digging under hooks. Um, and Joe chipped away at the lead coming back, but um, with two turns, it was, it was insurmountable and, and Brian came out on top of that, but it was a really hard fought, really physical match, you know, especially, um, you know, Brian managing, managing his lead down the stretch and off to the side, you know, Brandon's watching, of course, pulling for his coach and teammate, right. Right. Um, Schultz club teammate. Um, but at the same time, and now it started, the tumbler started to fall into place where Brian and Brandon are going to meet. Right. So, so Brian wins, you're excited, right? You, 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 now you're two representatives from the Dave Schultz club, right? Which you helped create, right? Are going to go against each other. You're extremely happy for Brian. How quickly did your attention turn to that final match 
matchup because it's a best of three series in that, right? That's right. Yeah, it was a best of three. It was going to happen the next day. Um, so we did have that night to kind of shift gears and prepare. Um, but I think, you know, how long did it take for that realization to, to set in? Uh, about 10 minutes. You know, after Brian's match, you know, immediately start thinking about, okay, recovery from that mini tournament day, grueling set of competitors that Brian went through, big field and tough field in his weight class. You know, immediately start thinking about recovery, immediately start thinking about, you know, who's the next opponent. And that's where the the reality, the gravity of the, the moment hit me, you know, because... I had to start thinking about how do I, you know, how do I prepare Brian for his next opponent? <laughs> and honestly, while we knew this was what we wanted and a potential reality, you know, for years and years and years, now there was a moment where that reality um, sunk in and, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Um, we'd always had a, um, a pattern and, you know, still do with our college athletes today. You, know, you go to the, hotel room in between rounds or the night before, you know, how are we going to get ready for this next opponent? And I hadn't thought that out in Dallas or leading up to Dallas. Um, but now I was faced with, do I do what I've always done with these two guys, which is go check in with them, you know, about their next opponent. But because their next opponent was each other, do I not do that out of respect and just kind of leave a void there? You know, I, I was, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> So I thought, you know, consistency is really important. Um, you know, these guys are going to work through this in their own way, but I'm going to do the same thing I did, you know, with each of them leading up to that moment in time. I'm not going to change a pattern or consistency. So I went up to each of their hotel room and I, and I told them I'm going to do the same thing with you as, you know, as I've done each, you know, each of your matches leading up to this. I'm going to do the same thing with Brandon. So I was up front telling them that. Uh, but what a weird feeling, you know sitting in each of their hotel rooms talking about, you know, how to approach their next opponent. It typically when you're, when you're coaching an athlete or one of your athletes against a upcoming opponent, opponent, that athlete maybe ask you questions about who they have next. What was their, did, did each of them ask you like, wh what are your thoughts about how do I approach this match? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a conversation. Um, you know, they certainly had plenty of experience. Um, but yeah, the question was like, how do you think he's going to wrestle me? Or here's what I think I'm going to need to do. Here's what I think he's going to do. And, and that exact conversation, you know, with each of them. Um, <laughs> what a what a tremendously odd moment in time. Um, in I made that decision just to you know, to let them know that, you know, I was going to have the conversation, you know, with, with each of them in the same manner we always had, we're going to be consistent with that and respectful. Um, but we're going to have those conversations. And, and we did that night, um, you know, as they, as they thought about, you know, what the next day was going to be like. When, when you're coaching an athlete, I mean, oftentimes you talk about tactics and strategy, right. But do you also discuss, uh, motivation or kind of you know sometimes coaches will get the get their guys hyped up like you can beat this guy you know strategy tactics aside because you're tougher you're you're tougher than he is mm -hmm. like how did you handle that like did you did you discuss you know how to approach it mentally rather than strategically uh i think to to a, a very small degree you know honestly um there, there wasn't any, you know, hyping up or, um, you know, trying to necessarily build confidence, you know, of one over the other, um, on a personal level, I think, you know, that was, that was almost, um, you know, an, an area that we just weren't going to go to. Um, you know, I think it was more tactics. It was more strategy. It was more approach. It was more, you know, like, what can I do to help you, you know, like, um, you know, with Brian's case, you know, from a recovery standpoint that night, um, you know, with Brian, you know, with each of them too, it's like, you know, I think part of it was, you know, we've, we've worked for this, we've trained for this, you know, now it's, you know, it's here, it's upon us. Um, 
but you just got to wrestle the guy in front of you. And, um, and so on a personal level, I, you know, I think that was, you know, just left to be, you know, kind of very respectful. Everybody knew the friendship in the years that, that we had trained together. Um, so it was more tactics and strategy. Okay. Makes sense. So day of leave the hotel, who are you walking with? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was who, who did I walk over with? I walked over by myself. Um, you know, we had a, a good crew of, of Schultz club supporters. There were a lot of Penn wrestling alumni that had come down to, you know, just excited, you know, to see the trials. Um, and so, you know, the walkover was, you know, quiet, but you know, there was, you know, who do I sit in the corner of? I sat in the corner, each of them, you know, you know, leading up to that. Um, and I made the decision, I'm not, I was, I'm not going to sit in anybody's corner, you know, and it was, it was odd. There were some, you know, there were, there were some people who were telling me, you know, I should sit in Brian's corner. I should sit in Brandon's corner. I should do this. I should do that. Um, you know, there are people telling me like how wonderful it is that, you know, absolutely you're going to have somebody on the Olympic team, isn't it? It's just, you can't lose. Um, so, you know, on the, sitting in the corner, you know, they each had coaches, um, you know, that could also sit with them. And, you know, we had Schultz scope coaches, Kevin Jackson was, um, you know, the, you know, the coach out at the Olympic training center the resident coach and, and Brandon had been training primarily there. You know, so they each had people that could sit in their corners and, and they were veterans, experienced wrestlers. So I, I made the decision just to, to not sit in either corner. And, and that felt right to me, even though you know, people were telling me otherwise. <clears throat> but the people that started telling me, you know, like, no matter what, it's a, you know, it's a win-win situation. You can't lose. That started feeling really um, weird to hear because what I was starting to feel in my heart was like, um, just a split, just a, a, a really terrible feeling. And, and it's hard to describe. Um, we had some wrestle offs recently at Penn that really kind of raised these feelings, um, in a new way. And, and I shared this story of the Olympic trials for Sydney that, um, that a lot of them sure didn't know. Um, but it wasn't a good feeling, Kevin, it was a heartbreaking before the matches even start, you know, it felt like my heart was breaking. Yeah, when people say that you know you're in a you you can't lose in this situation, you you actually can because one athlete who you've spent so much time with, uh, not only you know coaching but getting getting to know them personally. I mean, you're part of their life, and one of them has to lose. Yeah. What's your what's what goes through your mind in that when you're in that position as a coach? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, it just um, – and at this level with this much at stake, um, I didn't know what to think of it. Um, and, it's in a, and I think it kind of went – like for, you know, all of us, I think it's sometimes, you know, you try to think through situations, you know, right? So there's the, the cognitive level and then there's the emotional level. And, and this one started being a lot more emotional than it was, you know, cognitive, you know, it just felt like a, like a heartbreaking situation. It didn't feel like a, Hey, you can't lose here. It felt like there's no way to, there's no way to win this moment. There's no way that both of these guys can come out, you know, like winners. I thought now the experience over time and looking back is, is I was wrong on that. But, you know, not in the way I expected. Why were you wrong? Well, the matches transpired. Um, they were really hard fought, um, well wrestled matches by both of them. Um, you know, Brandon ended up um, attacking successfully, attacking legs from the outside. Um, I think the physical wear and tear of the mini tournament and leading up to that, you know, was, was more than Brian. Um, you know, he wasn't hundred percent physically by the time he got to the finals, he did everything he could and still was a, a tremendous competitor. Don't get me wrong. You know, he fought, you know, with high intensity, you know, to the last second of every match, but Brandon was just a little fresher and you win the U S open, you get slotted into the finals. And, you know, we have that, 
you know, that format today. I mean, those guys have an advantage. Um, and, and it showed and, and the, the home crowd, you know, being in Dallas, Texas, um, you know, when Brandon won those matches and anyway, the crowd just erupted, right. And, um, you know, the first Texan again, ever to make an Olympic team in wrestling. Um, but I guess what I didn't expect is, is what we all learned from Brian. Um, and it started immediately, you know, after that second match, um, they embraced for quite a long time. Uh, and, and Brian closed it, you know, with, with, I love you. You deserve this. Um, tremendous appreciation. Brandon turned around, you know, had the microphone, the interview, you know, right afterwards and, you know, gave credit to his training partner, his coach, a competitor in Brian. And, um, and they both started, uh, I think, teaching our, our whole community a new level of, of grace and how teammates can support each other. Um, and it happened starting immediately. And I think as heartbreaking as it was to see one of them have to lose in that, that momentous moment, Olympic spot um, up for grabs, um, you know, that, that immediately that grace started to help everybody understand there's something more here. There's something bigger. Right. And, um, and it was really profound. So the Dave Schultz club was created, you know, back in 96, right. Right after, you know, the tragic end of Dave's life and, you know, the entire wrestling community knows what kind of person Dave was. And you, you, you know, you were instrumental in creating that club. And here we are in 2000, two of the Dave Schultz clubs, you know, premier athletes going at it. Um, one of them wins and both of them show grace in, you know, the situation. Is that a legacy of Dave? I think it is. Um, without question, I think it is. Um, you know, David won the Olympics in Los Angeles and four years later, Kenny Monday beat him to make the team and Kenny won in Seoul. And who picked Kenny up and, you know, carried him around the mat? It was Dave Schultz. And Dave was in his corner and prepped him. Um, and both Brian and, and Brandon trained with Dave consistently. And um, so, yeah, I think absolutely. And the whole grace of the Schultz Club of Nancy and, and the family and everybody that pulled together and, and provided that network of support to all the ex-Fox catcher athletes, um, you know, Part of what we were doing is, is uh, I'd say probably the biggest part of what we were doing was carrying Dave's you know, legacy and memory and kind of the way he conducted himself as best we could, you know, forward in a way. Um, and, and I still feel that, you know, we have a, a painting of Dave up in our wrestling room at Penn um, of what I think is the last clinic he ever did was it was a bent leg Turk clinic in our room um, about a month before he was killed. And Tadaki Hata, you know, painted that painting um, and dedicated it to, to be hung in our room. Um, and the idea behind that painting is, you know, Dave Schultz is in heaven and he's still teaching everybody how to wrestle. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, I think that I think that we did carry that forward. I think that that, you know, how Brian and, and Brandon um, handled it, the situation with such grace was, a, a, you know, something they learned from Dave. And that year we had two other Olympians, you know, from the Schultz club that made the team. Terry Colat was recruited by all kinds of clubs to represent them and, and took less money, you know, to represent the, the Dave Schultz wrestling club because Dave had taken Kerry under his wing as a young athlete, you know, in high school and college at, at us world team and Olympic camps, you know, Kerry was such a prodigy prodigy. Um, and, uh, and Heath Sims and Greco, also made the team, another Schultz club guy. So we had three, three Olympians, you know, from the little Dave Schultz wrestling club, you know, down there at the Sydney games. And so people asked, you know, uh, you know, about that match in the, in the uh, ultimate wrestle off. And, you know, it's really turned out to be a win-win situation all around as far as that goes, creating and, and, and uh, moving the legacy forward. Um, but you know, obviously your heart was, was broken for Brian and, uh, but 
you know, maybe immediately lifted up in, you know, what Brian was able to provide for, for Brandon moving yeah. forward. Yeah. 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 That started right away. I mean, it took some time. I, you know, after the last match, I I'll share, I, I walked by myself <clears throat> underneath the stands. I thought I was by myself and, and, um, just uh, overrun with emotion and, um, and just, you know, got underneath the arena concourse and, and just broke down in tears. And, um, I thought I was alone, but I wasn't, you know, someone had followed me. And, and when I looked over, I caught her eye and she had a pen and paper and asked for an interview <laughs> and I asked for a few minutes and she said, sure. Uh, asked her who she was with. And she said, the New York times. And I thought, uh, okay, this is an interview I need to gather myself up for here and, and took a few minutes, but, um, but she had caught the, the story as it was emerging with these two guys and, and, um, and the Dave Schultz club and everything that had been created. Um, and she wrote that story up, you know, covering Brian and Brandon and, and it was the front sports page of the, of the New York times the next day. And um, I thought it was, I thought it was cool that she caught that element um, that was happening that maybe not a lot of people, you know, knew or understood or, um, but she captured that moment. I thought really well in that story. And um, now, as, as you may know, Kevin, the, you know, the winner of the Olympic trials, even to this day, they get to select a training partner, you know, to go, to go with them to the games. Um, and so, you know, Brandon, you know, had to, had time to think about that. And he's like, you know, could I take Brian Dolph? And USA Wrestling was like, absolutely, it's your choice. And he's like, well, let me see. I can take one of my best friends in the world, you know, my former coach. He's my weight. He's helped me get ready for competitions and scouting in the past. And I can do that all. And in, in, this is a no brainer. So, um, you know, so Brandon, you know, asked Brian if he'd be willing to go to Sydney with him and prepare. And Brian said, absolutely. And um, in the training camps that summer, you know, right away, you know, Brian's very selflessly started helping, you know, Brandon get ready for the likes of Vaisa Satia from Russia and Lalia from Kazakhstan, who ended up being a, a silver medalist in the subsequent games in Athens. Big, big time competitors. Um, Adam Barakat, you know, from Turkey, you know, was third in the world championships. And um, this wasn't only watching film, you know, Kevin, this was like on the mat every day every day, you know, working on those um, techniques that, you know, we expected from those competitors. If you watch the match with Adam Barakat and Brandon, you'll see that Adam Barakat goes for a crotch lift. Now, Barakat had crotch lifted everybody in the world, including Joe Williams. You know, he had a specialized technique um, and he was absolutely masterful with it. And, you know, Brandon went underneath Barakat and we're like, okay, this is the moment that, you know, like, um, and Brandon, you know, all of a sudden within seconds finds his hips in the air about to get crotch lifted. Um, but he had worked on this, you know, um, scouted Barakat with Brian and, and, and all of us and said, if I can get you this far ankle, I can reverse him. You know, so you'll see that if you watch that match, you know, Brandon finds that far ankle, reverses Barakat, gets on top of him, gut wrenches him. That's the match. Barakat third in the world championships the year before scouted prepared by Brian Dolph and, and, and the rest of us, the staff, um, and, and perfectly executed, but months of preparation, you know, for that. And there were other moments too, with, you know, with Satya and other opponents. Um, and Brian was there, he was his warm-up partner for every single match in Sydney, you know, repeating those, you know, strategies and tactics and preparations. There's a lot about Brian, yeah. you know, as a human being, yeah. you know, uh, lost an opportunity to, you know, compete at the highest level, probably a lifelong long goal to make the Olympic team and loses, but stays right there, helps his friend, works, works hundreds and hundreds of hours, you know, towards the Olympics beats several, you know, helps Brandon beat several of the, probably some of the best wrestlers in the history of wrestling. Satya for sure. Right. Brandon wins an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Incredible story. Yeah. And I think about it today. We, again, we had these wrestle offs recently at Penn and it kind of sparked these, these feelings, this memory of this moment. And, um, 
And, you know, we try and, you know, carry that legacy forward and, and help our guys understand that, you know, while that's a huge challenge of our sport that we have to face each other in rest loss, that, you know, there's an incredible lesson here to be learned about grace and humility. And Braden Slay, every time he walks into a wrestling clinic, um, gets introduced at any wrestling event, every time he walks into the PRTC um, room today to train Mark Hall and Jordan Burroughs and Dave McFadden, Joey McKenna, you know, he's an Olympic gold medalist. Brandon Slay, Olympic gold medalist. And I just, you know, what I was, you know, hoping to share in this legacy with our team is like, there are a lot of people that served that along the way, including his Olympic trials finals opponent in a way that, um, that helped Brandon accomplish that. Um, and that's the lesson of grace. I think that, you know, I continue to continue to learn. Um, and when Brandon gets introduced as Olympic gold medalist, not everybody knows the whole story behind it. So it's, it's, uh, it's an honor to be able to share some of that here this morning with you, Kevin. Yeah. So Olympic gold medalist, although, you know, as huge as that sounds, it, you know, it's a little bit of a simple statement, but there is so much behind it. There's so much that goes into it. There's so many people involved in, in it, you know, and, and you coming on and sharing just this story in itself, you know, is, uh, is important, but inspiring, you know, no doubt. So the, the message, you know, we know what the message is to, you know, the competitors, what would your message be to coaches that may be in this situation? Um, I would, I would say that, you know, having coached two Olympic trials finalists that have to wrestle off for the ultimate spot, that probably is uh, few and far between, but how about coaches that are dealing with wrestle offs and getting ready or trying to build a championship team? Like how, what's the mindset there and how, what message could you send to them? Yeah, that's a, I think that's a really important question. Um, and I think the answer is, you know, the advice I would give is uh, you cannot show enough respect, you know, for each of the competitors or the gravity of the situation, whether it's the finals, the Olympic trials, you know, whether it's to make the varsity lineup on a middle school team or a high school team or a college team, you know, whether it's maybe it's not even the starting spot, you know, maybe it's on the ladder who's second or third you know, and who gets to step in if there's an injury or someone gets sick. Um, but both competitors, um, I think you can't show enough respect for them. And for the one that loses and maybe has that heartbreaking, you know, kind of moment in their own career, you know, to help them understand that there's a lesson here um, that's really important. And that's going to be really important for them and in, in other points in their life, right? You know, we go off into the professional world. You know, we may not always get the position we want. We may not always be sitting at the desk we envisioned for ourselves or have the title that we thought. Maybe we got put into a role because the company needed us in a different role that wasn't what we had in mind. And, and how do we handle that situation? Or maybe in our families, even, or in our communities, we're, we're thrust into a role that we hadn't envisioned for ourselves. Um, how do, how do we get in the mind? How do we teach as coaches these, these uh, young athletes that, um, that it's really important to understand, you know, how to, move, how to move into a role that maybe was unexpected and how to be exceptional at that role um, and how to have grace when we don't get exactly what we want. There's a saying, uh, experience is what you get um, when you don't get what you hoped for, right? And and I think that's the job of the coach. Um, it's, a, it's an incredible teaching moment of grace and humility, but also purpose, right? So maybe the purpose changes for the guy that doesn't, the girl that doesn't win the wrestle off, right? And the purpose has to be different, but we have to win. As coaches, I think it's incumbent upon us to help people find purpose when maybe all they feel is loss. Right. Right. It's a lot more that goes into coaching than, than wins and losses, isn't there? Yeah. 
I mean, the coach could walk away from that moment and be, hey, it is what it is. You lost. But um, my experience, you know, coming out of that with with Brian and, and Brandon and Brian taught taught us new levels of grace, I think, throughout our community. And Dave Schultz did as well. Is that it's such an incredible teaching moment. Like I would in, in, encourage all coaches, like get your arms around it. Take the extra time to go find that kid in the locker room afterwards. Take the time the next day to check in and see how they're doing. Yes, it takes extra time. Yes, coaches have more than enough to do, but it's too important a moment. Absolutely. Well, thank you very much for sharing everything that you shared today as far as what it means to coach in that situation where you have wrestle-offs and, and you were involved in the ultimate wrestle off yeah. back in 2000. Yeah. I appreciate it, Kevin. It's brought back a lot of, a lot of good memories and a lot of challenging memories, but it's also, you know, an opportunity uh, to reflect on what I learned there and hopefully, you know, pass it forward to our current college guys at Penn and, and our PRTC athletes as well. So I appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Philly wrestling podcast. If you enjoyed the show, Please comment, like, and share with your friends. Until next time, enjoy Edge of Insanity, a song written and performed by the Philly band Human Illusion. I've been thinking what it takes to get through